0: to the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. Here we highlight the uncommon journeys of bridge builders and peacemakers that are living out their faith in the public square by boldly loving their neighbor and working together to build resilient communities. Our goal for this podcast is to encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, to learn how to better love your neighbor and how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. Hello, my name is Josh Tate and welcome back to this episode of the Bold Love Podcast. This season, which we are theming unlikely, will focus on conversations that allow us to hear from different perspectives and different faiths and different backgrounds. And this will help us shape the way we communicate to the world and each other. So today is going to be fun. Bob gets to talk to some of his best friends in the world, an Imam and a rabbi. So Bob gets to chat with his co-founders of Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, Imam Mohammed. Muhammad Majid, and Ambassador Rabbi David Saperstein. They will dive into how they started the Multifaith Neighbors Network, why each faith tradition should be involved in multi faith. and Bob will actually detail out his day of being present during the Collegeville Synagogue hostage situation this past January. Lessons learned from that along with an urgent call for this moment for all people of faith. So you will be super blessed by this episode. Hearing how these men model these civil conversations and relationships with each other and with other faiths without compromising their own, and while building communities that are more resilient to hate and discrimination and violence. And these three will actually be hosting one of the most unique events that you'll ever attend. The Global Faith Forum is March 6th and 7th in Dallas, Texas, and it brings together people from different faith backgrounds and learn how to work together and build relationships in communities across the nation. You do not want to miss this event. So go to globalfaithforum.com right now to register. It's free, but seating is the So, go ahead and go to globalfaithforum.com right now. Now, I want to welcome in the host of the Bold Love Podcast, Pastor Bob Roberts Jr.
1: I'm Bob Roberts with Bold Love Podcast. And I'm excited about this one because I got two of my best friends with me. These guys love me. I've known them a few years. We're very different. David is a lawyer. He's smart. Majid, Majid is uh, one of the funniest people I've ever been around. And they're both smart. They're reflective. I just love working with them. I love hanging out with them. If you would have told me even 10 years ago, Bob, two people that you're going to love more than anybody else, they're not even going to be in your own faith. I wouldn't have believed it. But I do. We work together. We work around the world. I do. I'm serious. I run David crazy because... When I get him alone, I'm always talking about theology and what Jews believe. Well, let's just jump right into the questions. David, I'm curious. You've been a rabbi. uh, You've been a professor at Georgetown. You're a lawyer. And you become the ambassador for international religious freedom. I want to know about that journey. A lot of it started in my childhood. My parents were extraordinary
2: world travelers. I don't think my dad ever made more in his 50-year career at the congregation. He was a beloved rabbi at it. I don't think he ever made more than $40,000. I have no idea how they did it, but mostly traveling before jet airplanes, but as late as the 1990s, they got to 80 countries And wherever they went, they visited Jewish communities, often small communities, often beleaguered um, communities, and they would bring back stories of of the struggles that uh, oppressed Jewish communities face. Um, And they would often meet uh, with because my father was a prominent uh, rabbi here with through connections with interfaith allies. Of his with leaders of other faith groups and learn about their stories. And the two of them would come back. They were both wonderful speakers and very popular speaking about um, uh, their travels across the uh, globe, particularly um, to Jewish communities, and uh, would bring back those those stories. And even from the time that my brother and I were kids, we began traveling with them to some of those countries on some of those uh, visits. So this was part of my blood to be thinking about religious communities at a global level. My father was the North American chair of our international body, the World Union for Progressive Judaism um, that now has a presence in uh uh over fifty countries um uh, across the uh, across the globe um and which i many did many decades later was honored to serve as the president the international uh, president of so uh, it had always been part of my life, and I began to get involved in issues to protect religious freedom, both in the United States, but also across the globe in the 1990s, um, in a strange bedfellow coalition that we were working with of Catholics and evangelicals and uh, Jews and um, a handful of others, and... uh The more I learned about the plight of Christians and who are minorities and Muslims who are minorities in in non-Muslim countries and the challenges they face, the more I was speaking out and uh, advocating for their rights. And uh, when I was approached by the administration about taking that uh, position, I really was honored to be
1: able to accept. You know, just... uh for what it's worth, you did an incredible job. You really did. You launched some things. You brought a a, uh, level of gravitas to that office uh, that was profound. And uh, many of the things that Ambassador Brownback and even Ambassador uh, Hussein, I'm used to calling him Rashad, uh, have done, I mean, you started it, and, and I want to thank you for that. I remember being uh, at your installment and thinking to myself: only in America would an evangelical pastor, uh, where there's millions of evangelicals in the country, be celebrating a Jewish man uh, being the ambassador for religious freedom. And uh, it's exciting and watching you, David, the way you work around the world, the way you embrace people. I, I'm I'm always fascinated. Uh, because you're a very smart man, but you know how to have that common touch, and it matters. Okay. Majid, I'm curious, Majid. Uh, I mean, you became an imam, and, and I'm, it's it strikes me, all three of us, our dads were pastors, so we're all what we call PKs. We're all preacher's kids. Majid, tell us a little bit about your path from becoming an imam to being, frankly, one of the top national leaders of Islam in America and one of the top international leaders of Islam. Tell us about your path.
3: Um, you know, as I reflect uh, and look back to my life, um, I was not uh, at all uh, was was planning to come to United States. It was not in my agenda. I came to United States because Of my commitment to serve my father and to take care of him. And that the, the actually, uh, the path that brought me to America because he came here for, uh, medical treatment, um, seeking, um, you know, kidney transplant. And I came with the potential to be the donor uh to give him that kidney it was an amazing journey i have learned a lot from my my father growing up and i studied islam myself um uh, under his hand and other scholars uh when we came to united States, um i become aware of the reality that i I'm, I'm in the country that majority are not muslims First time in my life in a country with majority I'm not Muslim. Uh, but the, one of the amazing things, is me meeting the first Jewish person in my life. I never met a Jewish person in my life until I came to United States. And that Jewish person happened to be my father's doctor, Dr. Cohen. And really uh, brought me to understand uh, that the... Um the diversity of humanity in terms of faith and religion and commonality of humanity in caring about others. Because this doctor have cared about my father and with him was another a Christian doctor and a Muslim doctor, Dr. Ali, three of them. They were my father's doctors. Therefore, I have seen the first interfaith um, relationship of trying to heal a man to take care of him. As I said that many times. But, uh, you know, after my father passed away, I came back to the United States. You know, I started already uh, studying, um, going to college here uh, to study other subjects other than theology. And uh, I was offered a job. Um, to work in uh, one of the Islamic centers here yeah, in DC. And I start teaching Islam and share Islam with people of other faiths. And I end up in Adam Center 1997, which is now is actually 25 years of being in the same mosque. 25 years.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
3: amazing that uh, reflecting back on it. Um, and the the reality of of being an imam in America is that you do not uh, have the same um, understanding of Islam that you understood in Sudan because the American context. Before you, you are in a mosque that someone from South Asia, some African American, white American convert, uh, you know, name it, and each one of them come with different culture, uh, you know, different understanding of Islam. And therefore, I end up uh trying to navigate all of that. And one of the things that uh, led to me being an in international stage is that I wanted to uh, have a broader understanding of Islam in America, involved with ISNA, Islamic Society of North America. I joined the executive committee and then become the vice president, and become the president of Islamic Society of North America. Uh, but my mosque, uh, become, uh, also, uh, go to by federal government and local government. And, you know, after especially, unfortunately, after 9-11, so many things have changed, but something positive things also have changed, which is the larger community have reached to Muslim community in solidarity. And since you're talking to Ambassador Rabbi David, my friend David, um, he is one of the people that I really admired in in uh, addressing the issue of uh, bigotry against Muslims, and I was uh, lucky to be part of the launching of uh, you know the one of the organization that uh, uh, meant to defend the rights of Muslims, and David was one of the people who have uh, uh, contributed to that. And then meeting this Pastor Bob Roberts, that
1: how? Well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, yeah, I, I do want to of- I want to go full Baptist on you here. Did you think of yourself, so there's not that many Muslims in America. Now, if I would have been a Christian in a Muslim nation, and I was going to uh, pastor a church there, we would call that being a missionary. Did you think of yourself as a missionary in America?
3: No, no I, I no, I did not. I, I thought about myself as uh, a servant of Muslim community, okay. providing service to the Muslim community.
1: All right. Now, I want to ask you this. Uh, since you've been in, in America, both of you, and I'm going to start with you on this, Majid. Have you ever faced discrimination or been persecuted? Not
3: in, uh, I have to be honest, not personally. Not personally. But I, my community have received uh, hate. Males, uh, we have almost were vandalized more than once. After 9-11, we have all of this writing on our walls. Go back home. You don't belong to America. And that really have made many of our community saying, is the country turning against Muslims? What's going on here? But guess what happened? The next day, the Jews showed up with a big poster saying, we love you. Want you to be here. And then the Christians showed up and the Sikhs showed up. And then we said, okay. That's not
1: the narrative. This is the narrative. That's good, Majid. Yeah. I do know I've been with you uh on multiple occasions when people would give you a hard time for being a Muslim. What is that like when someone belittles you, uh, accuses you of things that are just ridiculous? How do you handle that? Yeah, I, I,
3: I've been confronted with bigotry. Uh, I, I thought there's a difference between discrimination in mean, somebody being denying me a job or denying meetings because of my color. But bigotry, uh, you can just Google me. You can see how many people don't like me. You know, how do you, how do you uh, handle that? You know, you know, um, every clergy, every faith community leader has to believe that uh, you will have um, critic, reasonable critic. And you're going to have some people don't like you to, to begin with. But if you study the, the scripture, uh, Jesus will not like uh, this time that much. Huh? And Moses <laughs> or Muhammad and all of the uh, great men. And therefore, if, we, if we're expecting a free ride and smooth ride in this path, and that's not what this meant to be. Uh, every uh, uh, person who will have a stance on issue we have someone objecting them and resisting them and maybe even um, belittling them or have bigotry and hate toward them. Uh, you have to
1: be optimistic. You have you have to believe in human project. <laughs> and you and you are, Majid. You are. I've, I've watched you and uh, appreciate that about you. What about you, David? Have you ever faced discrimination or bigotry or people coming well, after you?
2: I grew up in the post-World War II era in the United States, in the broader New York area. Um, and it was a time where, from the end of World War II, really until 2006 or so, or at least 2001, thousand and 2006, probably, um, where there were declining rates of anti-Semitic attitudes. And on a social level, it was just wrong after the Holocaust to give expression, even amongst the millions of people who held anti Semitic atti- uh, attitudes and beliefs, to give expression um, uh, to those. So uh, there was fairly little that I experienced personally. But first, it wasn't that it was absent. I still remember there was in growing up. I was kind of the in my high school the liberal, uh, most outspoken liberal person in my high school. And there was a friend of mine who became who was the most outspoken conservative, and we would often <laughs> debate with each other. And we both ended up as ambassadors at the State Department, um, as fate would uh, have it. But um uh, I remember one time, one kid. Um, called out, not aimed at me, but I was standing outside, uh, behind our middle school and some kid yelled at a bunch of us, my my friends and myself, some anti Jewish thing. And we'd never heard it. I mean, we were literally paralyzed by it. I was sung. It was a kid we had been in elementary school with, hadn't heard it. And without missing a beat, this kid, the conservative, um, uh, guy in the school stepped in this guy's face and told him off. Um, uh, wow. here and how wrong this was, and he should be ashamed of himself um, <laughs> and stuff. And I never forgot that it was a lesson <laughs> A about how good people can be, either conservatives or uh, or liberals or moderates, and uh, has nothing to do with whether they're good people or not. I really appreciated what my friend did. Uh, about it. And later, many years later, uh, that guy reached out to me, um, decades later, that guy reached out to me, the one who had uh, yelled the uh, anti-Semitic slur. So, you know, but those were really so much the exception. But in the work that I did running for decades, for 40 years, the social justice and public policy arm of the reformed Jewish movement, working with synagogues all across America. Uh, You know, people would come to us precisely when they had problems, when there was an anti-Semitic act, the act as we're talking just the few days after what happened in Colleyville, um, Texas. Uh, here, that was one of our synagogues, a Reform synagogue, a Reform rabbi. Um, and when incidents would happen, we would hear about them. When people were being discriminated against, we would hear about them. So my life was involved in a professional level um, uh, with helping people uh, who were suffering under the uh, the offenses and strains of anti-Semitic uh, actions, harassment, vandalism, discrimination, uh, persecution. Um, uh, but uh, my personal life was not
1: marred yeah. by that. Now, I'm curious, and we'll start with you, Majid. Uh, before you met me, what was your past perception of evangelical Christians?
3: The, honestly, most of the attack happening in the Muslim community were coming from evangelical Christians. You know, the doubt about the Muslim loyalty to the United States, questioning whether the Muslims are here to take over the United States or not. The Sharia, you know, campaign against Muslims in many states. Well, most of it was uh, fueled by Soviet American Christians. And when I met you, I really have changed my perceptions, uh, especially when you made a commitment. That to bring the imams and the pastor and have them to meet and to get to know one another in Texas, I I, I thought this this is really um, a very um, uh, I can't conc- very refreshing, uh, very uh, different from what I expected, and 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 therefore it's, I I did have that kind of uh, understanding that the Bengali don't like Muslims.
1: What about you, David? What was your perception? An interesting
2: experience for me, Bob. Um, Where I grew up, it was a very diverse community, uh, about 25% African-American, about 20% Jewish, about 20% Italian Catholic, and then everybody else mixing, but very, very few um, uh, evangelicals, if any. I don't think I knew someone to be evangelical in the community that I grew up. So I didn't have exposure to that, and then not so much at an Ivy League school, and not so much in the Jewish community in New York. Clearly, there were lots of evangelicals when I was living in New York City, serving a congregation there, but you just didn't run into them, didn't cross paths um, uh, that much. They tended to be more uh, self-insulated um, uh, from the interfaith groups that uh, were that were part of the pattern in american life um in the position that i have now in the 1980s i was one of the most outspoken critics of the so-called religious right um uh, here i did three or four debates with jerry farwell on uh, on uh, television uh, national television um uh, here I was outspokenly uh, critical of, uh, the, uh, what I felt to be the politicization of, um, uh, religion. And it was, uh, it was one part of my experience interacting with the evangelical community. On the other hand, I also was, we invited Pat Robertson to address our major policy conference. Uh, here I reached out to him and we made that, uh, we made that happen and, um, It was, uh, you know, I was open to listening and hearing um, and learning. Um, And of course, the Jewish community is fairly liberal politically, so we were always at odds with each other. We mostly that was the nature of how we interacted until the 90s, when the Supreme Court decision in Oregon v. Smith 1990, uh, really weakened the First Amendment's protection of free exercise. In a broad range of groups, including evangelical and Jewish groups across the board, got together to pass the uh um the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, GRIFRA, um uh here. And that built personal relationships and some trust. Um, and then later on in that decade, as we worked on the International Religious Freedom Act and the Prison Rape Bill and the Sudan Peace Act and the human trafficking legislation, um, all uh, often meeting at our building, but welcoming this broad, cold, strange bedfellow coalition I alluded to before of the Catholic bishops and evangelical Christians, mostly from uh, Midland, Texas, and um, uh, area and number them. So they were Texan uh, evangelicals uh here the and and, uh, uh, the, and the reformed Jewish community. I mean, it was, really was strange bedfellows. And we got stuff done in the Clinton administration and the Bush administration that otherwise would have been impossible, but for that, uh, that kind of, uh, broad coalition. Out of that came deep friendships, um, uh, here. And out of those interactions, it led me in a path that led to our path crossing Bob, um, uh, here. And you have been an absolutely phenomenal, um, uh, uh, exemplar of. Of what uh, authentic evangelical Christianity is, can be, and the openness and willingness um, uh, to learn from each other and to work together cooperatively, um, et cetera. So, you certainly have changed uh, and deepened my understanding of from some of the images I had back in, in the 80s, but it
1: was part of a path that I was on. Um, and you just sped it along quite a bit. I love my tribe but I have no illusions about our sins and our weaknesses and our fallenness. And we have created uh, challenges for Muslims. We used to, here's the good news, uh, Majid. We used to do the same thing with the Jews and we got better at it. We've still got problems, but we've come a long way. It's not like it was a hundred years ago. Hopefully we'll come the same with, with Muslims. I look at all three of us, you know, David, you're liberal, I'm conservative. We're different religions, we're different races. And yet, we three guys have a lot of fun together. We love to work together. And we're very different. Uh, David, you're the intellectual. Uh, You know, Majid, you're kind of the politician. You're not a politician, but you know how to move in and out of circles and do stuff. And I'm just the workhorse that comes up with crazy ideas, how we can get it together. Why do you think it works for us to work together? I'm curious because we really are different and we don't agree with one another on different things, but I do believe we love one another. Why do you think it works, man? I, I I do believe
3: that you have to be sincere in relationship. Even if you might not see eye to eye in theology, but you have to be sincere with your relationship. You have to be genuine with relationship. And I do believe that, um, Sometimes the advice I get from David is straightforward and from you and uh, being comfortable in being in the space where you trust the person. It's all about trust. All relationships are based on trust. And if you build the trust and understanding among ourselves that there's, there's a bigger goal and objectives in working together, which is creating harmonious society. We want, uh, really me personally, I see in this relationship, the hope and the future for my children and grandchildren, honestly. And having you, both of you, to stand at the time that were not comfortable, not convenient, you know, uh, um, for Muslim community, that for me is where the trust is. And and David have done that many times, and you Bob done that many times, and sometimes we're speaking against on our own tribe, you know, yeah. being authentic in our relationship. I think that's why why have we have this unique uh, relationship.
2: You know, Bob, I, I appreciate your reference a couple of times to uh, intellectuality, um, etc. But just for the record uh, here, Imam Majid is an important intellectual force in his uh, community. And you are one of the most intellectually curious human beings I've ever met um, here. So you ask what binds us together. I think it's the openness to learn about each other. I think it is a pride in the Abrahamic traditions that uh, from which we have emerged um, in in distinctive directions and yet bound together by what that means uh, to all be children of Abraham um, and what we share in learning to celebrate what we share in common rather than concern about what we respectfully differ with each other um, uh, about. Um, And I think we all have a Common belief that actually God has called us to work both individually and within our community, but beyond our community with people who share these beliefs. That God has called us to create a better world for all God's children, um, and each of us does that in our own way. But but we each do it um, uh, here, and we have recognized. That when people can work together across religious lines, it is capable of achieving things that no one religion can do alone. And it is in the act of doing that,
1: modeling the very world that we're trying to create. I think about since we started MFNN, we've seen a lot of incredible stuff happen. Uh, we saw what happened in Phoenix with the pastor who had been, how uh, to the retreat. And the white supremacists circled the mosque, so the people couldn't, the Muslims couldn't worship, and the Christians got between them. Just recently, Majid, uh, the story of the Imam in Seattle. Uh, t- tell him that story real quick, would you?
3: Yeah, um, it's it's one of the very amazing, actually, story that the uh, the the a pastor of the uh Church brought the key of the church to the imam who was witnessing his mosque on fire. Somebody have started a fire on that mosque, burning the mosque. But the Christian leader, the evangelical Christian pastor, came while the mosque on fire and hand the key of his church to the imam and says, the church is available for you anytime.
1: Wow. That's the really
3: amazing story.
1: And then last week, a man uh, took four Jewish hostages in a synagogue uh, and at the congregation Beth Israel and uh, threatened to kill them. It was a horrible day. But what was amazing was Rabbi Charlie, all the relationships that he has built through the, through the uh, other faiths in the community. Omar Suleiman, who is a friend of all of ours, Uh, got on the phone and said, hey, you got to get over there. And he was already on his way because at that time we'd heard that it was a Palestinian uh, Muslim that was doing this. Uh, But uh, Omar trying to get in may have been a little difficult. So I called the Keller police chief, who's a friend of mine, who's also a friend of the Colleyville police chief. And we were able to get him right to the uh, staging area. And uh, we were able to spend the day there, me and him and Azra Aziz, another Jewish rabbi, and uh, we were there with uh, Rabbi Charlie's wife and daughter and some others. But what amazed me in that room, it wasn't just Jews. There were a few Jews, but it was equally distributed uh, across the face, And that was a reflection of his life. And we were all working for the same thing. And there were, you know, we were constantly working scenarios, okay, what do we do if this happens and what needs to be our response if that happens? And regardless of what happened, we all knew there was an elephant in the room when this is over. Is it going to uh, incite the Islamophobes? And we were able to begin to work on that right then, right there. And it excited me as Whitechapel's Methodist church on Monday night, opened their church, very large, influential church for the Jewish community, uh, for rabbi charlie but not just him it was dallas fort worth area and man it was filled and there were jews all over the place but there were muslims and i was sat by a coptic christian from egypt and there were christians and everyone was there but it meant that there had been relationships that had been established and one of the things that hit me is one of the reasons i think so far we've been effective at keeping it from from spreading we'll have to keep working It's because those lines were established. There was, there were some several things. And what concerns me is it takes years to establish those relationships, but man, they can be destroyed so fast. And it's like we're living in a time where we're just destroying the relationships that we have. We're polarized. We're, 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 we're disrespectful to one another. We don't listen to one another. And we could learn from one another. I, I, I want to give you both an opportunity. Uh, Imam Majid, what would you What would you like to say to the people of Congregation Beth Israel and Colliville? You'll get to see them when you come uh, to the to the Global Faith Forum. But what would you say to them today?
3: You know, that, that night I, I posted on my Facebook that me and my community were praying for them and praying for the, praying for the safety of the rabbi and the member of congregations and we thank god that they were safe and i just want to tell them that as a muslim uh, leader and uh, member of uh, you know the uh, imam uh, council group here in, in america we are there for you we are He will be continue to be there for you i cannot imagine what you went through but uh, all our love for your community and our support and solidarity with you And I pray that God Almighty will not have us to see anything like this again, in any synagogue or a mosque or a temple or a church. Uh, But I really appreciate what this, that community have done in building relationship and shows how much care and love that people have for them. And I really want to thank you, Bob, and thank all the leaders who stood with them and been there for them. And that's what religion is all about, show care compassion empathy and I think uh they have really um have established a model to, for all of us in building those relationship and having the faith community be there for them uh and I heard the sermon of the rabbi after the that oh amazing. that's good that's amazing, amazing sermon
1: yeah yeah David what would you like to say this is one of your reform congregations, anything you'd like to say to them? First, uh, for many
2: years, we have been extremely proud of Rabbi Charlie Sitchin Walker's interfaith social justice work and his is the energy and and gifts he's brought to bear as the rabbi of this congregation, a small congregation, newly created, that really uh, is is thriving uh, because of uh, uh, the dedicated lay people who have put so much into building that uh, congregation and a rabbi who is a good match for it. Um, uh, Across the country, Americans in general, Jews in general, Reform Jews uh, specifically, were praying, thinking what they could do, wanting to be of help um, uh, here, wanting to be of support. Um, the mechanisms of our movement, I'm proud of, so effective, Rabbi Rick Jacobs, the president of our of our Union for Reformed Judaism, um, and the heads of our Central Conference of American Rabbis, were engaged uh, all along in terms of planning how what we could do to be of help and reaching out to the community there and working with the other rabbis. You alluded to Rabbi Andrew Paley, who was part of the right. group of people. Who were there and reaching out to the family um uh, et, et cetera um we're so we're there with them we're there with them in this uh, journey that took this um Painful, alarming detour from what they had uh, planned, and will be there in the future uh, to help in whatever way that uh, that they need, and with uh, that we and will do everything um, we can to strengthen. And at the same time, it's a message as well to congregations across the country um, uh, that uh, with all of the efforts we make to build the the, the vibrant religious life of these congregations. Security has to be part of it. And the kind of training that was done there it would, needs to be done all across the country more effectively in strong partnerships with law enforcement and with local governments and the national government in terms of getting the resources to protect all houses of uh, worship. Some may be special targets at any given moment. After 9-11, it was many mosques that were the special targets. Now it feels that uh, we remember the tragedy of the Sikh temple of Mother Emanuel Church. I mean, you know, from one time or another, it's one group, another group. Um, No one is safe unless we're all safe. And we really have to learn from each other and work together um, to ensure. Because when these things happen, they're not just attacks on Jews or Sikhs or Muslims here. They're attacks on everything that America stands for. Um, here, people do this, seek to divide, um, uh, the, the country uh, here. And we have enough divisions, um, in America at this particular time. Um, so the religious communities of America need to work together to restore some sense of pluralism and commitment to unity and commitment to respectful differences political differences, religious differences, ethnic differences, cultural differences. Um, we have to model that and we have to work uh, uh, together in that. Um Right now, so much of what we have built in the 20th century is being challenged uh, together, all of us. And uh, in order to get back on track and make sure that the dream of e pluribus unum and that out of many, one yeah. it remains the reality of America is going to be a very daunting struggle for us. Um, but this reminds us how urgent it is to. go it has, back.
1: it has to be. You know, it grieves me, David, what you were saying. But it's true. Uh, we have to be ready for security. And uh, that's a big deal at our church. And it is at most churches I know uh, that are that are even medium-sized churches. You, you have to be ready. and that that grieves me. Uh, but but it but it is critical. and it's now a part of that uh, complex things of uh, what does it mean to come together and how do we protect ourselves? What you also said, David, about uh, e pluribus unum in building that fabric together, my tribe struggles with uh, coming together with people of other religions. I think it's because we're the minority. I also think it's because as evangelicals, we want to win the world for Jesus. Uh, I say, I'm sorry, we're the majority. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to a Muslim and
2: a Jew. Uh, I'm sorry. I was shocked. No, no, no. I messed and up. The narrative that does exist in your community of some that we're a beleaguered, persecuted minority.
1: No. I no, mean, we uh, it is uh, a struggle for us yeah. to fully uh, Harriet, Well, being in the majority as evangelicals, uh, I, I think we forget about the minority and we don't understand how difficult it is. And as evangelicals, we want to win the world for Jesus. And sadly, sometimes what that means to some is people are projects. And if I can get them to do the prayer of salvation and baptize them, I've done my job. And that's just not true. As an evangelical, it's not true in the Bible. We've, we've got more than that. So what you said, David, about e pluribus unum as a country, too, we, we've got to work on that. And that's, frankly, that's the whole idea between the uh, Global Faith Forum. It's getting us together different. I want other people to experience what I've experienced with you, Majid, and what I've experienced with you, David. I want them to build friendships. And, and they don't have to agree. We don't agree. But We sure respect one another. We care about one another. I pray for you men every day. You're in my journal. You matter to me. And so the whole point of the Global Faith Forum is an opportunity for evangelicals to come together, along with Muslims and Jews, to say, you know what? We may never agree on who Jesus is. We may never agree on theology. But there's something in all of our faiths that says we can be in relationship, we can learn from one another, we can live together. Why, why do you think, uh, Majid, the Global Faith Forum, what we're doing March six and seven here at our church? Why do you think it's significant and important?
3: I think it's, uh, it's very important to to look to the history of uh, tension happened within religion. And what it led to in the past. And to say to ourselves that we believe that we can change a course and prevent any kind of um, tension that happened in the past to happen now or in the future. This global uh, forum is meant to bring people to create a safe space to exchange ideas of how can we improve the condition of humanity, how can we work together to provide um, the necessary uh, tools to our congregations, whether Muslims and Jewish and Christians, that help them to create a very important um, uh, environment uh, of Harmonies, acceptance and so forth. I I think uh, people are going to hear different point of view, but they will hear also commonality. Why are we coming together? We're coming together because we believe that we need to find a way that we as human beings. Regardless of our faith background, regardless of our culture, we can have people coming from the Middle East, uh, people come from America, uh, American Muslims, Jewish Americans, and Christian, Evangelical Christians, coming together to tell the world that we can work together, can live together, and we can make our community a safe space. Place we can stand for one another. We can address issue of poverty, uh, issue of religious freedom. Uh, together as one human family, I Lord,
2: love it. living our faith. I love it. David, what would you say? Well, first, amen to everything uh, that Imam Majid just said. Uh, I agree with every word of that. Um, I, I would just emphasize also the global aspect of this. Um, we're not alone in America. We often feel somehow that we are distinctive and, and uh, unique in some way, but we're not. We're part of global religious communities. Yeah. We're a part of a global world in which no one can really be um, uh, alone on an island Um, here. We're all affected by the problems that the world. Look at the COVID crisis that the world is uh, uh, afflicted uh, with. And that's true in religious life as well. There are hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who are severely persecuted um, and discriminated against uh, because of their religion, because of the way they want to worship God. because of the way they want to live in accordance with their religious conscience. Um, and uh, we have to recognize that. And uh, I'm glad that this does it. I also want to add w- that this is a significant contribution um, uh, to that understanding. But I do want to say a word more, Bob, if you allow me to. Sure. And I think I speak for Imam Adrian, um uh, here as well. We have made a joke before about minorities and majorities, and you said that evangelicals, you know, are a, are a majority. And I want to make clear that first we all know they're not um, uh, here. They, they are the largest segment of American religious life. They're not a majority, and sometimes even large numbers of people can really feel isolated from the surrounding culture um, and face real problems, whether they are a small minority or a huge uh, uh, segment of the uh, of the uh, nation in which they're a part of, the community um, in which they're a part of. And we understand that there are real challenges that many people in the evangelical community feel. Um, uh, today. So we were kind of making a a joke about um, our respective sizes um, uh, before. But I simply want to say you have listened with an open heart to us. We have learned and listened from an open heart to you about the needs, the hopes, the fears um, of your community, the challenges of the evangelical uh, communities as well. So I'm particularly Please that this event is being held in an evangelical uh, uh, church, and thank you very so much for hosting it.
1: You know, David, I want to thank you for saying that because th- there is a mindset of an evangelical and how we see the world, how we see ourselves as Americans, and I think part of the struggle we have is is uh, we're not the only ones in that narrative anymore, and so we don't want to lose who we are but we've got to make room for other people. And uh, I I really want to thank you for acknowledging that. And I guarantee you there's a lot of evangelicals that are shaking their head and they're shocked to hear someone like you make that statement. That's a profound statement. You know, one of the interesting things is sometimes I speak uh, to groups about things about interfaith. They go, wow, how did you learn that or whatever? And uh, where did you read that? And the reality, the things I've learned most are not necessarily the things I learned out of the books that I had to read, but it's out of how I've changed. And I've wound up, and and it hit me one day. You know how we all talk about how that there's so much in common, let's build it there. But one day I realized, at the end of the day, Manjit is never going to agree with me that Jesus is God. You're never going to agree with me, David, that Jesus was the Messiah. So I began to ask myself, if I'm going to be in a relationship with you, then I'm going to have to have a different test of how do I relate to other people. And I realized, why couldn't the measure of a mature faith be in relating to other faiths, not how much we have in common, but how much can we differ and still get along? That, that was a, I've you know, got more comments about that, but that wasn't something I read in a book. It was being in relationships. And then it is, you know, people will freak out when they hear me say this, but the truth of the matter is I've read the Quran two or three times. And, uh, the majority of things that Christians would read if they read the Quran, they would not disagree with. And there's only probably about 3% that you would. And what you would disagree is obvious. You know, so there, there are, you're right, Majid. There's far more we have in common, but in our minds, We've so vilified people. I had a guy reach out to me from Arkansas today. He said, I, I want to be a part of this. So we don't do this here in Arkansas, but can I find, can you help me find an imam or a rabbi to come with me to Texas? So I want to see what, I want to see what I can do. And, uh, that'll be pretty interesting. Uh, but, but the point is we have got to come together and we don't need to let CNN and Fox and other media define for us. Who one another are. We need to define it around the meals together. And let me just say this, it's free. We want everybody to come. You do have to register. To your point, David, we are taking security very serious. You have no idea what all we're doing for security. It's major. And uh wish it wasn't that way, but it is. And so you do have to register. You won't be let in. It's free. But if you don't have a... Uh, uh, registration. So uh, I would encourage you to register quick. Uh, it's it's growing, it's filling up. The night is going to be a big rally at six in the evening. Uh, doctor Alalisa of the Muslim World League will be speaking on the Mecca Declaration. And uh, there'll be responses to that from both of you and other incredible guests, Ibu Patel and 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 Ambassador Brownback and Ambassador uh, Rashad Hussein. It goes on and on. You can just see who all is coming. Christine Kane uh, is coming. David Beasley. Just so many. Uh, the next day is training. So if you're a cleric or you just want to be an interfaith or multi-faith leader in your community, all day long on Monday, all we're doing is you're going to hear from other rabbis, imams, and pastors, what they're doing, how they're doing it. You're going to get to hear from some top leaders around the world. They're going to bring us encouraging. So I want to encourage you to to register and get that in. One last question, and we're done. What, and we'll start with you, Magic, what is the hope for the future of the work that you're doing? Let's project out 15 years from now, and it's success. What does success mean for you? You know,
3: uh we are speaking now around the time of Dr. King Mummery. And one of the things that I learned about Dr. King, he was dreaming big. Yeah. He dreamed big. And I think his dream is still in the making, not yet completely fulfilled. But th- my dream is that to have communities that they see relationship beyond their own tribe. They love a Jewish person and a Christian person and a Muslim person as the same way they love their own. Uh, My dream is that to bigotry and hate become so disliked and rejected, uh, people who promote this kind of hate and bigotry will have very difficult times in any community. Uh, My dream is that in Muslim community, they will have no anti-Semitism and no Uh, bigotry and religious discrimination in the majority of Muslim countries against Christians and to have the children, grandchildren of mine um, they live in the neighborhood where they can walk in the street, a woman wearing a scarf that doesn't have to look over her shoulder doesn't have to think that people look funny at her, that's my dream it's a good dream,
2: David? I think we face truly existential problems in the world. Climate change, economic inequality, the 2 billion people who live in significant poverty still all across the globe. Um, the danger of pandemics, um, the, uh, the threats that come to us out of the natural catastrophes that seem to have escalated in the globe, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the the forest fires, um, uh, whatever the cause of them is um, uh, here. And it's going to be a struggle for us to all hold together. We have to get back to the basic things that we share in common, as far as those things are concerned, not the other things we share in common, but I truly believe overwhelmingly, we think God calls us to ensure that every one of God's child, including the poor amongst us, has food, has medicine, has education. I truly believe that people want to preserve God's creation of this earth that has been entrusted to our care. For which we have been called, um, a year guardians of the earth in the Bible. I truly believe, um, that we think racism is bad and we. Really want to do what everything we can to end it. I think we all believe religious persecution is wrong and we want to do everything we can to end it. I think we got to remember what we share in common about the very divisive problems that we face. And we may take different paths to achieving those goals. But if we can really discuss with each other and Challenge each other and differ with each other within the spirit of we God has called us to do this work to protect creation to to help the poor to ensure every child is taken care of um, uh, uh, here to confront poverty across the um, uh, globe to end new weapons that can destroy the whole world um, uh, uh, here if God calls us to do that and we discuss in that commonality we have in confronting it. I think we can really make a difference over the next 15 years. And for God's sake and our children's sake, sake, we don't have a choice because 15 years from now to begin to deal with them is simply going to be too late. And as Dr. King said, the fierce urgency of now reminds us that over the bleached bone and scattered residue of countless civilizations is the most terrible of all epitaphs. The word's too late.
1: It's a Baptist preacher to me if I ever heard one. Yeah, wow. amen. Wow. Amen. So I would uh, say amen to both your dreams. I'm, I'm going to give just two statements of what I would dream. The first thing that I would dream is that when a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or an atheist, it doesn't matter when they see an evangelical 15 years from now, if they have a problem or if there's something they need help with, they'll run to that evangelical because the reputation will be, they protect you, they care about people. They're the people that'll stand up for you. That's going to be a shift for my tribe, but that's my desire. Here's my second dream. My second dream would be much what you said, Majid, that we disagree with religion, but we don't dislike one another, that we can walk and love and respect and value one another. I'm so grateful for y'all doing this. I mean, I I really appreciate it. I know you're busy, but thank y'all. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Bold Love Podcast. And during this episode, we talked about this huge event, March 6th and 7th, 2022, the Global Faith Forum. You don't want to miss it. So go to globalfaithforum.com to reserve your seats right now. For full show notes, links, and details about this episode, you can find them at boldlovepodcast.com and get all the details there. And we so much appreciate you joining us. And remember, at the Bold Love Podcast, we want to encourage you to live out your faith boldly, to learn how to to better love your neighbor and how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith.